The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone, joined this week by Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Good morning, chaps. Morning. 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 Um, well, <laughs> that was a bit of a bit of a pile of old shit, wasn't it, last night, to be honest with you? Not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, the best bit for me was when Patrick Vieira came out, wasn't it? Um, that was, it was nice to see him walk out and he was sort of quite diffident about the whole thing but um, that was sort of the most exciting moment wasn't it Adrian? Do you know what I missed it because I was I was on that so I was doing the last bits of the pre-match show in the studio so then I was probably on the walk up towards the press box when it when it happened I've watched it back since and and yeah it was very nice he he wanted to play it down clearly but fair enough but yeah it, it, he's he's he was always a relatively sort of shy character, particularly in the early days as a player at Arsenal, as a youngster. Obviously, he's got this, this this strong aura about him. He's a real, you know, dominant player. But I don't think he loves that spotlight too much and was probably felt a little bit uncomfortable, but he deserved it. Goodness me, what what a player, what a servant. And, and I've got to say, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, what a good, smart, tactical performance from him as a manager too. We will get into that. James, did you not watch that entire game yesterday thinking, I'll tell you what, Patrick Vieira would be great in this midfield? <laughs> I mean, I probably think that watching every Arsenal game. I, I do think <laughs> that, you know, he is kind of irreplaceable. He really was a, a true one-of-a-kind player. I'm not sure I've ever seen a central midfielder do have the exact sort of amazing mix of qualities that he did. Um, I think I was more watching it thinking... Maybe Patrick Vieira might one day be a, a decent Arsenal manager because, as Adrian says, I think he set up his Crystal Palace side very well. They've had a really promising start to the season. Um, and I think it's doing his credentials as a coach some real favours. So I, I, I was impressed by what I saw from him. And I have to say, when we got that last gasp equaliser, I was absolutely thrilled. But when I saw those TV pictures of uh, Vieira sort of deflated on his haunches on the touchline, I couldn't help but sympathise with him. I spent so long cheering for him and loving him as a player that I, I admit I felt for him slightly in that moment. I think he probably deserved uh, that crowning victory back at Arsenal. Yeah, well, he might get more chances, to be honest with you, if we keep playing like that. But we did get a late equaliser. It was an odd moment, I felt, uh, that late goal, because I did spend the next hour or two sort of feeling like we'd lost and then every so often go, oh, oh yeah, we nicked a point. Uh, and it was really daylight robbery. Um, let's talk about late goals then uh, before we get going. Um, have we got uh, a favourite uh, late goal? Can I go first, by the way, on, on mm. this one? Um, just because I was thinking about it the other day, I remember Arsenal playing Newcastle in a game and we were puff, huffing and puffing and it wasn't going anywhere. And they're... Um, uh, I, I forget the name of the goalkeeper who's now playing for Norwich. The uh, Tim Cruel was it? Tim oh. Cruel spent a day, spent the entire game wasting time, and then Robin van Persie got a uh, well, actually, was it Thomas Vermaelen? I think scored a ninety-fifth minute goal, and Robin van Persie then was winding up Tim Cruel no end, and I, I really did 
enjoy that late goal very, very much. I mean, there have obviously been others which have been more momentous, but that one, uh, it was just fun to see him suddenly rushing to take goal kicks after spending half an hour on each one. Uh, so I'm going to nominate that one. Uh, James, what you got? I would have said the same, actually. It was Thomas Vermaelen who got that late, late winner. I think it was the 90... 90- I don't know, fifth minute, sixth minute, something like that. And um, we were chasing Spurs at the time. And I think this took us within a point of them. And ultimately, I think we we got there ahead of them and and beat them in the the league. Those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that would have been my shout. I I, I suppose I should also mention, I've probably mentioned it on here a few times, but Danny Welbeck's late winner against Leicester City. That was another one where it felt like you know, the momentum in a season shifted in that moment. And ultimately, it didn't come to pass. We didn't win the league. But in that moment, everyone in the Emirates Stadium, I think, believed that we could and that we might. So, yeah, that was a pretty raucous celebration too. Unlike last night, which I agree, you know, it, it was uh, it was, it was was thrilling to get that goal. I was very, very pleased to see them not lose uh, and to see us snatch a point. But it did feel kind of like a consolation really given given how how much we'd struggled on the night yeah adrian what about you i, I think you've picked out the two that, yeah, that are the have. most memorable <laughs> for me no i do but i'll let you into a secret here about that danny welbeck goal um i was on co-commentary that day for arsenal tv and and our equipment broke in the second half there was there was a technical issue so basically we had to sit and watch the whole second half not commentating in the knowledge that we would then have to go over to Highbury House after the match and commentate on the second half again, which is just just something we had to do really? because because of the issue. And so we sat there watching it, and it was obviously a, a, a stunning moment. It did feel huge at the time. Emirates absolutely went went berserk. I remember it clearly, but I had the privilege. What a good fortune of being able to just think about how I might set this up in terms of the commentary. <laughs> Did you get and it if right? You were ever- if you were ever to listen back to it, I, I hammed it up so much. I really did. Um, when he came off the bench, I said, wow, this is his chance. Can he make himself a hero? <laughs> and, and I think as the free kick as the free kick was about to be taken by Meza Ozil, it was, we, myself and Tim Peters, we, we definitely built it up as if something's going to happen here. Ozil's ball in as a header by Danny Welbeck! Danny Welbeck has won the match for Arsenal. Incredible. Jubilant scenes here at Emirates Stadium. What a moment. So, yeah, it was good fun. It was really good fun. And it was a, it was a dramatic winner. Uh, listener, if you're, if you're uh, thinking about that commentary and thinking, well, they, they were pretty prescient, the way that they mentioned that, well, now you know why. We shouldn't give away too much of the magic, though, really. But, that's uh, the only time it's happened. Honestly, that's the only, only time it's happened to me where I've had to re-voice a half. But, yeah, you've got to make the most of it, Stoney, right? Yeah, I th- you absolutely. If you get that chance, if you I, you absolutely do. Um, by the way, James uh, mentioned about Patrick Vieira and, and his coaching style, and and what a good job he did yesterday. And you can read a piece uh, on uh, his style, uh, and also uh, our arts match analysis. Uh, go to the Athletic. If you're not got a subscription, you can get one by heading to athletic.com forward slash Arsenal Pod. 
I think we put a little bit the handbrake on. The headline this morning uh, from Mikel Arteta, or one of the headlines, we put the handbrake on, which um, I know he listens regularly. And uh, <laughs> he, um, I, I'm, it was, why did we put the handbrake on, James? Let, let me ask you this. Why, so we take the lead, it all starts off so nicely, and then it, it really was the most passive performance I was trying to think back. It's hard to remember massive, incredibly passive performances, but I don't remember an Arsenal team being quite so passive as that for quite some time. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, Mikel Arteta seemed at a loss to kind of explain it himself, really. He, he was much more irritated in his press conference by Arsenal's first-half performance than their second-half performance, although that was the half in which we conceded two goals. I think that the manner in which we... Uh, like you say, sort of sat off having taken the lead was deeply concerning to him. And and I, I mean, I, we can only assume that wasn't the plan based on what he said. But why it happened, uh, to be honest, I, I would need to see the game again to really uh, know. I'm hoping that Adrian's going to be able to <laughs> fill in some of the gaps for me tactically. But I think, uh, you know, Palace were very astute. They kept the ball very well. Arsenal were not very aggressive in terms of trying to win it back and it just enabled them to control the game from what I could see and arguably you know we went in at half time at one all but we were one nil. maybe a little bit fortunate to be ahead at that point yeah yeah I, I I mean I felt like Adrian that they should have they should have pushed further up after about 20 minutes it was feeling like that and I felt like that for the entire game from then on why is the manager if he is feeling that way not losing his mind on the touchline and getting them 10 yards further up the pitch. It's a good point. It really is. And I think that, that you can get that message across to, to squeeze up, get 10, 15 yards higher up the pitch. It's a fairly easy arm gesture, isn't it? To do that. and, <laughs> that and, and, and to, Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not that hard. So um, in answer to, to the sort of initial point, I think we started the game well, obviously wonderful goal and, and and we were winning the ball back inside their half with aggression in the first 15, 20 minutes. We did stop doing that. I, and I thought Aubameyang's work rate was was really good. He was excellent. setting the tone with the press. And yeah, I thought I thought that was excellent. But then we did back off. At the crux of it, in my opinion, I have watched the game back very early today, but I could see this at the time. The central midfield was the problem in this match. It was it was quite clear, I think, from from halfway through that first half, that going with just Thomas Partey there with with Erdegaard and, and Smith Rowe, kind of either side, wasn't working. They had no control on the game. I think at, at the halftime point, two of those players had made a low twenties in terms of passes. Now Arsenal midfielders of yesteryear would make fifty passes per half. You know, that's that's when Arsenal were controlling matches, particularly in a game against Crystal Palace, for example. But we, we didn't get hold of the ball properly, didn't have any combination play, didn't relax in possession. And then the, the other part of it is that there was no screen. There was no no protection. So so Palace could 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 come out into our half because we were deep. And then once they got in their in our half, they could feed the ball into Benteke or Eduard very, very easily. I thought that Thomas Partey really struggled to to provide a sort of defensive screen there, possibly because he was, you know, flanked by two attacking players. So, so yeah, that had to change at half time. 
Saka's injury obviously prompted the the change, but I would like to think that Mikel Arteta would have made that substitution anyway and gone for two proper central midfielders because that was the reason, in my opinion, that that we lost control and let Palace dictate. Yeah, but Adrian, there's the, the crux of it, is that he picked a team to play that way, possibly, I think, underestimating Palace's midfield a little bit. And it was obvious for most of us that we didn't have control of that game after the first 20 minutes. And Art talks about that uh, in his piece, our lack of control in football matches. I mean, how early can a manager basically hold his hands up and go, I got this one very wrong? Because he's saying he's not very happy with the performance. Well, that performance and, and Thomas Partey being essentially on his own in central midfield, that's down to him picking that team. Yeah, it's easy to criticise yourself when the team are by and large playing well and winning matches. And unfortunately, Arsenal aren't. So a manager under pressure is a brave manager if they start to publicly criticise their own their own decisions. Inwardly, I'd like to think that, that Mikel w- would admit he got the team wrong. You've also got to look at Lacazette's contribution. We'll get to that off yep. the bench and, and ask the question why he's had, had less than 50 minutes Premier League football until this point. In my opinion, he was comfortably Arsenal's best player of pre-season as well. So, so yeah, look, I, I don't think the, the team selection was great. I didn't think we played very well. And I didn't think we really improved that much until Lacazette came on and almost single-handedly pepped up everything that we that we did. I think the most disappointing aspect of this performance was the lack of combination play. Just yeah. just very few passages of, you know, ten passes or more, very few triangles. We saw one brilliant triangle for the goal. But apart from that, how often did we really, you know, draw Palace out of position with clever one and two touch football. Just just not very often. No, so there's, there's an awful lot of work to do, I think, with the team moving forwards. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the disappointing aspects, James, is that after 16 days off, when a lot of our players were around and they could train them, that they didn't uh, uh, come up with more uh, interesting uh, combination play. But let's talk about uh, Alexandra Lacazette then. Um I mean, he made the difference when we came came on against Brighton as well, before the international break. He he looked like the player who might change things. And as soon as he came on, there was a sort of different feel to the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you could see in the Brighton game that it would have suited him the way Arsenal were playing. They were going quite long from quite deep quite early on and Aubameyang was struggling to hold the ball up as well as he did against uh, Tottenham, certainly. And I thought there were elements of that in this game. I thought Arsenal's distribution from the back was a bit more varied and actually generally a little bit better in this game. But they were still being quite direct in their approach play. And Aubameyang struggled, really. Arsenal found themselves lacking a bit of presence in that final third. And I think, you know, the combination play that Adrian mentions just wasn't really happening there. And, and that's going to be key to us kind of creating chances, breaking teams down. So I thought Lacazette's encouragement, sorry, his uh, contribution rather, was really encouraging. I thought that getting him close to Aubameyang, you saw immediately Aubameyang come back into the game. There was that nice moment where Aubameyang played the flick through and Lacazette went through on goal. Um, It was a very good save, actually, by Gaeta to keep that out. bit telegraphed the shot, though, wasn't it? Maybe so, maybe so. But I I thought it was a decent stop, nevertheless. But... um, yeah, I thought he made a really big contribution and I I, th- I think it's interesting how many, how few minutes he's played and 
it's almost seemed like because he's got one year left on his contract and he's kind of likely headed out the door, almost certainly, that that has seen his team role in the team reduce. But I think, you know, he's still here. We're still paying him really quite a lot of money. Uh, and I think in some respects, he's the closest type of centre forward to the, the one we really need, which is someone who I think can really link play and provide a focal point. I don't, I don't think he is the perfect version of that striker, but I think he's sort of the closest that we have and there will definitely be times where we need him. This was one. He came through, scored a late equaliser. I have to say he looks in terrific condition. Like your eye test Gosh. says, he looks sharper, he looks slimmer uh, and I think he probably deserves more opportunities. I think it'll be interesting with another game so soon in the Premier League, I think we probably would have expected a bit of rotation maybe anyway. Uh, I wonder if he's one of the names that Mikel Arteta will be considering. I think when a guy comes off the bench and rescues a point for you, uh, naturally you're going to consider it. But what that means for Aubameyang and the rest of the team remains to be seen. You've got, you got to play him, surely. You've you got think? to play him on Friday. I would it's... think so, to start four days after the game. What would you do with Aubameyang the then, Adrian? Would you put him out wide or...? I would, given that Saka might be struggling, it was some whack, wasn't it, on the back of his calf. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. For me, Erdegaard was dis- was a disappointment on the night, so I don't think he could complain if he was given a breather on, on Friday. Aubameyang didn't really play wide left, did he? He played very close yeah. to Lacazette, and I think that, that that is food for thought moving forwards, that sort of hybrid position. I just think this Arsenal team are a bit light on goals anyway. It's, those are our two best goal getters, aren't they? Lacazette and Aubameyang. And obviously they scored in this game. And I'd, I'd like to see them start a game together on on Friday just to give Villa something to think about. On, on Lacazette very quickly, I just thought his attitude was spectacularly good. I watched him when he got the call to come to come back from the warm-up to, to come on. He looked and intense, some players, didn't they, they've not got their shirt on, their shin no. pads, they dawdle. He legged it. Whipped his top off before he'd, he'd, he'd sat down and, and just couldn't wait to get on the pitch and say, get me on there now. I, I want to make something happen. And and he, he really did. It was it was a fantastic cameo from him. He, he was definitely the man of the match from Arsenal's point of view. Two things I want to talk about. Uh, one, James, I'm asking you this. Is there a... a um, Granite Xhaka shaped elephant in the room. We're talking about lack of control in the uh, in in central midfield, and I know people blow hot and cold about Granite Xhaka, but are we missing him a lot more than we're prepared to admit? Um, I think we. I think Arsenal are definitely missing him, and I think if you look at how integral he is in their best performances, you know, even as recently as the Spurs game. I think that comes as no surprise. I, I always find it slightly odd that how quickly people uh, are ready to forget what he brings and also what a good partnership with Thomas Partey he had last season. When Thomas Partey was fit, whenever they were together, it, they looked like a really strong central midfield duo. And for all the frustrations people have about Shaka, and as much as many people were ready to see the back of him, when he stayed... You know, my primary thought was, well, if we can keep him alongside Partey, that is a very solid foundation at the heart of this team. Experience. There's there's experience there, which there isn't... Uh, it, we don't have a lot of that in the team, do we? So no. To it, have it, two guys with that amount of games under their belt and that amount of experience, they can calm everyone else down. 
it's experience. It's also the quality of being able to look after the ball. You know, Adrian talked about in the first half, Arsenal central midfield has had, you know, 30-odd passes. Granit Xhaka is a guy, when he plays, will rack up 90 passes and he'll probably play them at about, you know, 85, 90% pass completion. You know, that's an often overlooked trait, but it's very, very valuable. And I also think something else I've noticed is, you know, Kieran Tierney is a player who's slightly struggling to make the impact he did last season. And uh, Granit Xhaka's again often criticised for just sort of, you know, bowling the ball out to Tierney on the left. But I think the regularity, the speed and the accuracy with which he does that is quite important to getting Tierney into those advanced positions quite quickly. And no one else is is is, is playing that pass with the same regularity. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any question at all that um, Arsenal are missing Xhaka. But I'd be interested to see what Adrian thinks. Yeah. Well, Adrian, what do you think? Do yeah, you? No, I, I do agree. I agree with everything you said. Really, it's, it's um, against Brighton. The central midfield struggled badly for three quarters of the game, and it was the same here. It was slightly better when Laconga and Partey were together at the start of the second half. But but the bottom line is this: Partey was caught in possession for goal number one. Lack of options for him, not quick enough of his decision making, and. And goal number two, Laconga got mm. caught in possession and they punished us again. He, he just hesitated, didn't play the way he was facing and 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 we conceded. So so in central midfield, we're not in top form. That much is clear to see. And Granit yeah. Xhaka uh, was outstanding against Tottenham before he got injured. And yeah, I think he his partnership with Partey is, w- would give us a different dimension for sure. I just don't, think that that we can play the one in very many Premier League games like we tried to in this match if no. if we could roll back the years and get Kozola and Rosicki either side of, of uh, or Kozola and Ramsey either side of Thomas Partey maybe then maybe then it would work okay but I don't think we've got that Kozola type player that just wants the ball give and go anywhere on the pitch that's comfortable receiving it you know, whichever way he's facing, we just haven't got that player at the moment. And uh, and other teams are going to target Arsenal in this regard. Brighton targeted Arsenal, definitely Palace did. They, you noticed every time a cent- one of the central midfielders got the ball, they were on them. Conor Gallagher in particular was very good at it. And um, and it paid off. Uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that, that Villa will try to do exactly the same thing. So, yeah, we've got to improve in that department. Otherwise, um, we won't control matches. And if we don't control matches, it's going to be hard to win them. Um, I mean, James mentioned uh, Kieran Tierney there, Adrian. Uh, 50th game for him. I mean, I mean, I felt this about both sides of the pitch. Uh, whenever Pepe got the ball, he turned back inside and played it back to whoever there was there, Tommy Asu or Gabriel. And, and Tierney did the same on the other side of the pitch. Um is he slightly becalmed at the moment? Is it just that he's missing Granite and the way that Granite passes to him with a slight, slightly more forward momentum, he can he can move up? Because there was one pass from Gabriel yesterday that was had a bit more zip on it and it enabled Tierney to move forward in the second straight away. It, it, it's a subtle thing. I notice Van Dyke does it for Liverpool all the time. The passes that he gives to Alexander-Arnold, always it just allows him to have forward momentum. And I sort of feel... Sometimes Tierney isn't isn't fed in the right way, but he's not going past people like he used to. Pass it in front of him. 
<laughs> it's not. It's not hard. It's it, it, you pass the ball in front of players for them to run onto. We used to practice it all the time in training. I know Arsene Wenger was was always talking about that. You know, you'd have these sort of mannequins lined up as the opposition. You thought, well, this is easy. You're not up against any opposition. <laughs> we just put in patterns in, in into the minds of players so that it all comes naturally. And it was always don't play it to feet. Play it five yards in front so they can run onto it. And and that creates momentum, doesn't it? And, and Tierney definitely feeds off, off momentum. You keep giving it to his back foot. He's got to stop, check and start again. And that gives the defenders time to, to get in a good position to say, well, you're not coming past me. So, so yeah, I, I felt for the wide players. It's also about support. And I have to say that the support wasn't good for the man on the ball. It went to a fullback or a wide man. What options did they have? Well, Martinelli at the end, Adrian, when Martinelli got the ball and the Conga was watching him from 40 yards away and the whole ground is screaming, go and help him. And he yeah. wasn't, was he? No, exactly. You could support the man on the ball. You know, you should have two or three options. In the Conga's defence, I think for, for the one where he gave the ball away, there was literally no nowhere for him to go. He had no pass. So I, I do understand why he hesitated in that scenario. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know if it's confidence cohesion I don't know what I don't know what it is but they've certainly got to work on creating angles for one another because if you don't everything's static and staccato and that makes it really easy for for teams like Crystal Palace who are well organized to keep you at bay everything changed when Lacazette came on because of his attitude and because he ran he made runs that took defenders in into places they didn't want to go and until his arrival no one did that a um, couple of questions from listeners. James B, the Tottenham game uh, feels like an outlier this season. Why is the team struggling to click up front, especially when we don't have any new signings in the attack? I mean, I, James, I think we sort of covered this to a certain extent. If we, we don't have control of the midfield, doesn't matter how many great forward players uh, we've got on the pitch, we're just not going to get in behind them. It's going to be difficult. I mean, there are other ways you can create chances. You can create chances by you know, pressing high and forcing turnovers. But this isn't an Arsenal team that does that with any great consistency, certainly not outside the first 10 minutes or so yesterday. Um, I think Lacazette is better at that than some of our other forwards. I, I think as well, you know, maybe we just need to look at getting a, another goal scorer on the pitch. I mean, Crystal Palace, in fairness to them, they came to Arsenal without their best player, but they played basically three forwards in Christian Benteke, um, Odson Edouard and Jordan Ayew, yeah. who really you'd all think of as you know, potential centre-forward players. I know Ayew has played wide in the past himself, but it was quite an aggressive thing to do. It meant that they had the ability to kind of, you know, knock it into any one of those three forwards. They all worked exceptionally hard. You know, the turnovers, yes, there were mistakes from Partey and Lukonga, but they came because of the pressure that those Palace forwards were applying. They were very hungry. And Arsenal could learn something from that, I think. Uh, we, we definitely didn't play with that intensity for the most of the most part of the game yesterday. I said that on the on the breakdown live last night. I said exactly that. I said all those turnovers that, that Palace were producing, they created chances and good, you know, good chances, opportunities to run at the back four, where we really didn't look very comfortable, you've got to say as well. And we didn't do that to them. And it's not hard to do that, is it? It just comes down to application. Yeah. And an attitude. I looked at the uh, shot ending high turnovers. So when you win the ball high up the pitch and that turnover ends in a shot, 
Arsenal are the fourth worst team in the Premier League at that. So only three teams have had fewer shots than Arsenal from from high turnover. So it's it's definitely an area um, we've got to get better at. So we don't we don't do the turnovers, and then we don't exploit the positions when we uh, when we do do the turnovers. Um, uh, uh, multiple people have asked this, and Adrian, you sort of covered this about. Is Arteta making tactical shifts at the right time or at all? Is he too wedded to his ideas? I've heard it said, Adrian, that he that he basically wants to be Pep Guardiola, but we do not have the players to play in that way. Is that a fair criticism? Is he too wedded to his tactics? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weight in that. Mm, Adrian. It's, yeah, it's... Look, it's I'm quite unimpressed. I have to speak honestly here. I'm quite unimpressed with the progress that, that the Arsenal team are making. I have yeah. to say, I don't see individual players improving that much, personally. And I don't see the basics of the game improving in terms of the organisation of our press, the, the the cohesion of our passing when we have the ball, those sort of move, movements. Yeah, it was great against Spurs, but that was that was the outlier, wasn't it? One half, Adrian. One Thierry half, Henry yeah. said it, I think, before the game on Sky. I wasn't mm-hmm. watching because I was at the game. One half of good football this season against Tottenham. Yeah, it's, it, is it the tack? I'm just trying to think. I suppose it is the tactic. So one of the one of the aspects that 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 I'm not such a fan of is is the central midfielder going left because it leaves the midfield so empty. Um, I just feel that that we should have the conf- more confidence to 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 play through the lines and and look after the ball better. But but is that tactics or is that the, the confidence of the individual players? And but does that come from the manager? It's it is it is a really hard one. I I just don't feel that Mikel's settled on on a on a way of playing yet. Sometimes we go with a one midfielder, four one four one. Sometimes we go four two three one. Um, in the game against Palace, I think we had three or four different systems. So I don't think he's wedded to one shape, but the ideals, yes. And those ideals, are they producing football that is exciting the fans and winning matches? I think the answer to both of those no. is no at the moment. Does he need better players or does he need to adapt the tactics to suit the players? Those are questions that that he'll be considering, I'm sure. Well, one more question before we move on then, James. All right, we agree that things are not progressing uh, perhaps as quickly as we'd like them to, but we were looking at that bench last night and aside from Lacazette and, and perhaps Martinelli, there's not a lot on the bench. It's a young team. It's a young manager who possibly has been a bit outcoached in the last two Premier League games uh, that uh, that we've played. Do we have to be more patient, or do we should we be expecting a little bit more? Well, I mean, if he's been outcoached, you know, Graham Potter and Patrick Vieira are pretty young coaches too, albeit more experienced and with roles at previous clubs. Um, they're still relatively early on in their own careers. Do you agree he's been outcoached, though, James? Uh, I do, actually. I do think in those two, he definitely came off worse in the sort of managerial duel. I think Brighton... uh, I mean, uh, against Brighton, I think that it was a a mixture of factors. I think that certainly, you know, they're a very well-coached team and they put pressure on Arsenal in areas where they're weak. I think as well, individually, Arsenal were poor on the day. I thought generally that was a... A very poor performance. I thought against Palace, 
for me, the coaching seemed to be more the determining factor. But, you know, it's it's a mixture of things as always. Yeah. It, it is, you know, back to back. In one of those games um, on its own, you could kind of write it off as, well, that was a bad day at the office. But two back to back is very worrying. And I think it, it does sap some of the enthusiasm that that winning run put, you know, imbued in the fans. And I, I, when I look at the team now, I do just think we are a, very, a team who, I feel like all through Arteta's reign, we've talked about kind of the first phase, you know, what we do from the goalkeeper, how we build up from the back. And there's actually been substantial investment and change and turnover in personnel in that area. But once we get the ball over the halfway line, I, I'm not sure absolutely what we're trying to do. And I think that is um, is a concern because this is a team that needs goals, that needs to create more chances. And one fundamentally that I believe there are good attacking players in. I mean, you know, you talk about Lacazette coming on, his impact. We talk about Aubameyang. We know Odegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, Martinelli. This is an exciting group of young players. And yes, they are young, but they're players who I think if sort of unshackled and given the appropriate system and platform, can produce goals, can produce assists. I think they've got that in there. It's just not happening. And of course, you can look at the central midfield as the crux of that. You know, it's the link between those two things. But we spent a lot of money in the summer and we're talking about a team. We're saying, well, we quite like the look of the new defence. But then I kind of think back to last season. I think, well, defence wasn't that bad last season. We were saying the defence is kind of okay. It's the final third we need to sort out. And having spent all this money, having brought these new players in, I have to be honest and saying a few weeks into the season, we're sort of saying the same thing. I mean, yes, we made individual errors yesterday that cost us goals. But for the most part, I think people are encouraged about the defensive unit. But that's kind of where we were before all this money, before all these signings. The problem that Arteta has to solve with increasing urgency is unlocking this attack. And, and I do wonder if maybe he needs to change how he thinks about it, how he thinks about the composition of it. You know, we talk about Palace going with three strikers. Uh, I've seen teams give us problem with two strikers. And, you know, there is a lot of people who think the solution to Lacazette and Aubameyang's form is to get them close together, to get them playing as a front two. Is is that an option potentially? He, he, he needs to try something because it, it needs to improve. And Aston Villa on Friday will be a significant test. I mean, they came to the Emirates last season and absolutely outplayed us. So I I don't think we should be fooled by, you know, the fact that they collapsed against Wolves the other day. I think Emmy Martinez and Aston Villa will be coming to make a point at the Emirates Stadium, no doubt about it. Every game's a test at the moment, Adrian, isn't it? To be fair. I mean, Abby, our producer, just just sent me a WhatsApp saying, can we have some positives? Because we are unbeaten in five and we didn't lose. And I think... I mean, it is. I sort of came away with very mixed feelings yesterday. Um, I obviously slightly worried about Bukayo Saka uh, for what I think should have been a red card uh, for James MacArthur. But, you know, we are unbeaten in five and it's a young team with a young manager. And um, maybe we should just, um, you know, back off a little bit from the criticism. No, but why should we back off? Because we're Arsenal and, and we know the standards... The, the the club expects, and we know that that where where our standing is in the game, and if we are falling below those standards, then we we wouldn't be telling the truth. 
if if we were just singing singing their praises. Um, for well, me, there you go, there Abby. Only, <laughs> there aren't, no, but there were two positives in the game. Two positives for me. Alexander Lacazette's substitute. Let's give Mikel Arteta some credit here. He made the substitution at the right time and he made a difference. He was brilliant. And I thought that Aubameyang's attitude and application was excellent. Beyond beyond that, other than sticking at it in the second half, I I, I can't no. find that many positives. I don't think many fans could, could they? No. Can I just well, say, I think that like... The reason that I feel very deflated by this result and this performance is because I am prepared to give the team a break here and there. You know, I am realistic about the fact that there will be games that we lose and that we don't win. And, you know, if we go away to Leicester, say, next weekend and get beat, I'll be able to kind of rationalise that and understand why it's happened and accept that it's sort of growing pains. But because of that, I think there are games that you that are really significant. Like these home matches this week against Palace and Villa, for Arsenal to get where they want to get, you know, they really need to make a good fist of those. Um, It's so important to build momentum, to accumulate points in the games that do look a little bit more favourable. And while I'm full of admiration for what Vieira is doing at Palace, and they do look much more impressive than last season, I still think... I still think Arsenal, you know, should really ought to be winning that game with the resources they have, the with money. the players they have, the money that we've and spent. We, we uh, got a glimpse of what they're capable of against Spurs <clears throat> in that in that unbelievable sort of spell of the game, and I don't think it's too much to expect that to happen more often than it is. That that's all, really. Yeah, but Adrian, um, Adrian, surely in that Tottenham game, um, Nuno picked the wrong team. And uh, and Spurs were exposed. Uh, I mean, basically, they were essentially breakaway uh, goals, and um, and and no one is going to make that mistake again. And it feels like Arsenal it, it are quite easy to uh, to stop. I mean, I'm watching Pepe with with people doubling up on him and making him turn back inside. We don't have threat from that many areas, and so so smart managers have seen it and gone. Well, we're not going to make the same mistake Tottenham made, and they haven't. No, look, the forward players are not getting enough chances. Why aren't they getting enough chances? Because we don't control games. If you don't control games, you're not going to have sustained periods of pressure where no. you're wearing the opposition down. And, and and it happened towards the end of the game, didn't it, against Palace? Vieira actually, in the one sort of negative that you could criticise him for, took off uh, Eduard and put on a third centre-half, yes. invited the pressure a little bit. And we did wear them down, and we got we got that break. But but we want to be seeing that in the first half. I said during the game yesterday, we we get five minutes here and there of of really good stuff, and then there's twenty minutes of sort of not a lot happening. And and and, and you want it the other way round. <laughs> you want twenty minutes of really good stuff, um, because if you get twenty minutes of good stuff and you don't score, you'll have been unlucky. And that's the thing, it doesn't have to be 90. I think sometimes there's this idea that Arsenal are going to dominate the first minute to the last of a game. But that's very rare that that happens. And we didn't need that against Spurs. If you can produce a blistering 20, 30 minutes in which you create multiple chances, you can win a game in that time. And I I agree completely with Adrian that that's where Arsenal struggle. You know, they can't seem to keep their foot on the gas. No, no. 
This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm David Ornstein, and you can read my in-depth interview with the former Arsenal, Chelsea, and now very much current AC Milan striker Olivier Giroud on The Athletic right now. Giroud tells me about his battle to prove people wrong literally since birth, nine years in the Premier League and his relationships with Arsene Wenger, Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel, the highs and lows of France, yes, that Karim Benzema rivalry and plenty more besides. And if you fancy seeing the interview, and come on, why wouldn't you want to watch a 15-minute video of Olivier Giroud shot in the fashion capital of Italy? You can find it on the Athletic UK YouTube channel. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Yeah, here we are, handbrake off. Ian Stone, uh, Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Uh, I think we've done enough on uh, <laughs> yesterday's game. Uh, let's um, talk about uh, Olivier Giroud. He had a little sit-down chat with David Ornstein. Um, one of the things he said, which I want to talk to you guys about, uh, he said, at Chelsea, you have less time to show your qualities than at Arsenal. Uh, it's more demanding. Is this part of the problem and part of the, all the things we've been talking about, James, in the last 45 minutes, is that there has been a culture at Arsenal to accept uh, less than the best, really, uh, in the last, say, 10 years, something like that, this fourth place is a trophy thing that we were going through with Arsene Wenger and since then. Does he have a point, Olivier Giroud? Oh, he definitely has a point in terms of the way the club is run. Uh, and I think sort of the ambition and, and demands that come with that. And from his personal perspective, that was probably reflected in the fact that for the vast majority of his time at Arsenal, he was essentially guaranteed a starting place. I mean, there were long periods where he didn't really have significant competition for that centre-forward spot. Um, you know, you think of us going into seasons with a very young, very injury-prone Yaya Sanogo, and that was sort of it as the alternative to Giroud. <laughs> and then he went to okay. Chelsea and, you know, found himself rotated in and out of the side. You know, he would get the, the a run here and there. I think he was generally very good for them when he played, but he was up against 60, 70 million pound players, you know, competing for a place. So I, I can understand why he says that. Chelsea is run with a different ethos, but it is also run with a very different budget. And it's a very different kind of club. And unfortunately, if you look at the league table now and you look at the respective aims of each club, you know, they're kind of competing on on different planes. So, um, yeah, I, I can't really argue with what you said there. No, uh, Adrian, I get I go around the country doing stand-up comedy. I get patronised now everywhere I go, all right? <laughs> I used to walk on at, say, Manchester or Liverpool and say, I'm an Arsenal fan and they'd boo. Whereas now... They're basically, oh, are you okay? And this is sort of oh, no. seems to be the difference in terms of our clubs. So we're agreeing that Olivier Giroud has a point. Um, was he? Is he a top-level striker? In, in He's not as good as Robin Van Persie. He's not as good as Thierry Henry. He's not as good as Dennis Bergkamp. He wouldn't have got near the invincible team, would he? No, no, but... 
yeah, you're talking about some greats there, aren't you? He's in terms of Premier League goals for Arsenal, he's behind Henri Wright, Van Persie, and Bergkamp. So, so and, and he's fifth. So, I think you have to respect what he what he did for the club. But yeah, he's not of the same talent. But that said, I just think he was a such an unexpected scorer of great goals, wasn't he? You look at him; he's not quick. He's a he's a big old unit. You think, well, he's a, he's a he's a target man. He's someone that gets on the end of crosses, but he he was much more than that. He was a great link play, uh, link player. One of my takeaways from his time there would always be his little flick ons around the corner, and and people talk about the scorpion goal, which I was lucky enough to co-commentate on at the time. Just a stunning that was moment. Palace. But pe- that was Palace, people, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, and and people yeah. forget that it was actually a, a brilliant flick from him. That started the move, started the counter attack on the halfway line. He flicks it around the corner and then just legs it 50, 60 yard, full length sprint to get on the end of the cross to, to Scorpion kick it home. So, yeah, he was he was a really clever player. I, I really liked him. Sat down and talked football with him a few times and really nice guy as well, actually, as well as being a handsome yeah. devil. He was uh, he's very calm. <laughs> And kind of considered, and yeah, just yes. kind of more more gentle than you'd you'd expect, maybe. But yeah, I really liked him, and yeah, I was I was I was pleased for him in a way that he got to go to Chelsea and to to win stuff with them. But I just wish he hadn't gone to Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? Because he's he was such a likable player here. Yeah, there is a little bit of that, I guess. By the way, who provided that pass to the Scorpion kit? That was. Um... Oh, Alexis. <laughs> Alexis, thank you. Yeah, that's right. So I, what I was going to say was that that pass was from Alexis Sanchez. That's the level of player uh, that we used to have uh, coming into our team. And it doesn't seem that long ago, by the way. Giroud in the middle, Perez joining him. In it goes towards Olivier Giroud! Oh my goodness me! What a fantastic goal by the Frenchman! Even he is surprised! What a finish! What a way to get 2017 underway. Arsenal 1, Crystal Palace 0. We're going to end uh, shortly. Uh, the women's team are playing Barcelona at the Emirates on Thursday, 9th of December uh, in the Champions League. Um, get your tickets for that. Um, Arsenal got spanked in the first leg. Adrian, I mean, we talked about this on the show the other day. I mean, that's the best women's team I've ever seen play football. Oh, they, they were phenomenal. Yeah, Barcelona. They, they, honestly, there's no shame in that. Defeat, even though on paper it looks looks like a shocker, that they just came up against a, a world class outfit, and yeah, it, it's one of those. A lesser team than Arsenal would have lost eight or nine that that particular night. I think we saw little glimpses though that Arsenal can cause them problems. Yes. Scored from a set piece, and and Arsenal have been sensational domestically this season. Jonas Edevau is is doing a great job. And uh, I know that he'll be very determined to put on a better show this time around. So, yeah, no, ho- hopefully there'll be a big turnout at Emirates. I'm pleased it's there. And, yeah, it's it's going to be a high standard women's football match, that is for sure. Because even though Arsenal got battered in that last match, that, you know, there's an argument that these are two of the best teams in Europe at yes. the moment going head to head. Definitely worth watching and see, uh, um, James, if Arsenal have learnt anything from that first leg. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure they will have done. It was a footballing exhibition clinic, really, that Barcelona put on. But hopefully that we can get a good crowd into the Emirates for that night and really, you know, help them turn the tide. I mean, it's it's a, it's a big challenge facing this Barcelona side. They are really comfortably the best. They're on another level. And I think 
when you look at how Arsenal are playing domestically, how much they they seem to be, you know, performing in the WSL, the degree to which they struggle in that Barcelona again tells you everything about their quality. But I'm going to definitely get down there and I think it will be a, a great game. Two sides really trying to play some really good football. So get yourself down as well. Get yourself, fair enough. Get yourself down. Uh, let's have a song. Adrian, we'll come to you first. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Alexander Lacazette and and sort of going into training today and tomorrow, sort of trying to catch catch the eye of Mikel Arteta. What do you think, boss? Am I going to play on Friday? Surely I've done enough, haven't I? So um, I've gone for Take a Chance on Me by JLS. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not the other one. Okay, fair enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, what about you, James? Well, again, similarly inspired by Alexander Lacazette and the the movement that he helped engender in the Arsenal attack. Um, I've never thought of him as necessarily as that being his his greatest strength. And there were times last season where he looked a bit leaden footed, but certainly not last night. So I'm going to go for Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> okay, I'll have uh, I'll have Always Late by Rizzle Kicks. I'm always late. I'm always late. Because uh, I, I like the fact that we got uh, one one striker is late to arrive for games and the other one scores goals very very late. Um, so there you go. That's it for handbrake off for another week. Thank you to Adrian. Thank you to James. And thanks to Abby, our producer. We did manage to keep it a little bit light at the end. And uh, thanks to you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. Uh, see you next week. Ta-da. Ta-da.